We're going to look at Jesus' prayer in John 17 this morning, if you want to turn there, page 996 in the Pew Bible. I have been wanting to get to this chapter for a long time. Um, When I think of the Lord's Prayer, this is the chapter I think of. Most often when we hear the Lord's Prayer, we think, you know, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Uh, but when I think of the Lord's Prayer, this is, this is what comes to mind, because this is a, a prayer of His. We're told many times throughout the Gospels uh, that, that Jesus prayed. Sometimes He prayed all night. Here in John 17, we have one of His prayers recorded for us. I believe it's the longest uh, recording of His prayers that, that is in uh, all of the Bible. John 17 is recording events later in the night after the Last Supper, after Jesus uh, shared that Passover meal, his final Passover meal with his disciples that we call the Last Supper. So you have John, uh, that happens in John chapter 13. John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, all are taking place in the same evening, the same night. Uh, that and so that's part of of where we're at here uh, with him. It comes. This is coming just before his arrest and and um, and crucifixion that that follows. You know, shortly after, Jesus knew what was coming. When he prayed this prayer, he knew what was coming in a matter of hours. He wasn't surprised by this. He was prepared for it, and he was preparing. He was preparing his disciples for that as well. Now, what comes right after this, what comes right after chapter 17 uh, is recorded in some of the other Gospels. Um, and it's the, 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 really the Jesus prayer in the garden. And it's that, I believe, is um, it's the, the most uh, shaken we see Jesus as, as he prays. What Dean read this morning from... Uh, Hebrews 5, as he was reading that, I thought, man, I mean, there, there again, just another picture of it. Uh, it said, let me read it for you again. Uh, chapter Hebrews 5, uh, verse 7, it says, During his earthly life, he offered prayers and ap- appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. Uh, you know, and we, we forget about that sometimes. You know, this, in his humanity, in his humanity, it was a struggle. Now, when I say in his humanity, don't get the idea that he was not God. He was, he was fully God and fully man while he walked this earth. And that fully man part struggled with what was coming. And it's right after that, uh, you know, that, that agony. Uh, in Mark chapter 14, he talks about this as Mark is recording it. It says, then they came to the place. This again, this is comparable to John's part of of what we're just before, actually just after what we're reading here, what we're going to be reading in John 17, what comes after. It says, then they came to the place named Gethsemane, and he told the disciples, sit here while I, while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him and began to be deeply distressed and horrified. That's a good translation. Deeply distressed and horrified. Then he said to him, My soul is swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death. 
sorrow to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake. Then he went a little farther, fell to the ground and began to pray. If it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. We see a picture there of, I think, the most intense struggle and suffering and mental anguish that anyone can go through. And yet he yields himself totally to the Father. Now John 17 there records a little bit earlier in the evening, just before this, as Jesus prays with 11 of his disciples. 11 because Judas had already left. Judas uh, stepped out to put the betrayal in motion, uh, to put uh, feet to his, well, he had already begun to put some feet to it, but here he was setting it up. Uh, for that final moment of of betrayal. And uh, notice chapter 17 begins, it says, Jesus spoke these things. Now when he says these things, it refers back to chapter 16. So just look up there at chapter 16 for a minute. His disciples have not yet caught on to the impending events, uh, but they didn't want to seem too dim-witted. So look, look at chapter 16, look at verse 25. Uh, let's just start there. Verse 25 of chapter 16. He says, I have spoken these things to you in figures of speech. A time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I'm not telling you that I will make requests to the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you. Man, what a great picture here. The Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world again. Uh, into the world. Again, I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Ah, his disciples said, now you're speaking plainly and not using any figurative language. Now we know that you know everything and you don't need anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. Shows a little bit how far away they are yet. And verse 31 it says, Jesus responded to them, do you now believe? Look, an hour is coming and has come when each of you will be scattered to his own, own home and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You'll have suffering in this world, but be courageous. I have conquered the world. Now, continue reading because it goes right through. You know, the chapter divisions weren't there when John wrote this. So as he originally wrote it, just keep reading right there in John 17, verse 1. It says, Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven and said, and then we have the words of the prayer unfold. Uh, now, we're going to need to take this chapter in sections. I fully intend to cover the whole chapter, but not today. Uh, we're going to do it over over a few weeks here. Um, let me encourage you, though, this week, to, uh, not, not this week, let me encourage you today to sit down sometime. Don't do it now. Wait till you go home. Uh, to sit down and read through the whole chapter in one sitting. It'll take you less than five minutes. But it'll help you to get, to get the flow of, of what's going on here. Now, if you look at your, at your Bible, most translations have the, ja the chapter broken into three subheadings. 
uh, it can certainly help us follow the progression uh, through the prayer. Now, they, you know, if you have the Holman Christian Standard, these are the divisions. Others have words similar to this. Uh, Jesus prays for himself, the first five verses. And then he prays for his disciples, that's verses 6 through 19. And he prays for all believers, verses 20 through 26. Now, those headings are put there, you know, they're put there to help us as we read. They are not part of the inspired text. Uh, you know, but they, they can be helpful for us. Um, but remember, this is one continuous conversation that Jesus, God the Son, has with God the Father. You know, as he's praying, his disciples get to eavesdrop uh, on this conversation between God the Father, uh, God the Son, and, and the Holy Spirit, you know, is always present with Jesus. You know, and, and I think what we have here is the members of the Trinity are listening and, and discussing what's going to happen. One of the things I really enjoyed when I was a kid, um, when we'd go over to my grandparents' house, was uh, listening in on adult conversation. I was thinking, um, well, just last week, uh, last Sunday, my grandkids miss out on that uh, for a couple of reasons. One is uh, all the screens, which I abhor more and more every day but the other is because my siblings my siblings and Jenny's siblings don't live here uh, we are not we are not in the same town as them and my grandparents house my aunts and uncles would come over and they would all sit around and they would talk and they would talk about uh, things that they had done together things that happened while they were growing up they talked about what was going on in their life then uh, they talked about people that they all knew, and I just loved listening to that. Now, in my family, you know, I could follow part of the conversation, and part of it I couldn't because uh, part of it was in Polish. Uh, yes, I am half Polish. If you didn't know that, you should. Patrick, Michael, Ryan, what else do you think I would be? So, the uh, uh, you know, the, the conversation that went on there, I just loved. You know, I just loved listening to them talk. It was just such a great thing to hear them interacting and to hear them talking and i got to listen in you know and i got to learn and learn things about my family and learn things about my aunts and uncles and what was going on in their life learn things about people that i never met you know because i was able to listen in on that conversation and here the apostles are getting to listen in as jesus uh, yeah, and, and God the Father talk, and as I said personally, I believe the Holy Spirit was there as well. One God, three persons, uh, you know, a little hard for us to grasp, but the reality of it we see there, and I, 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 that's what I think much of Jesus' prayers were. I think they were simply conversations, discussion between him and members of the Trinity. Now, sometimes it said the disciples heard the noise but didn't know what it was. Well, Jesus did, you see. Uh, that's the part where, that, where God was talking in Polish. Just a picture for you, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, it, it, that, you know, it's they, they're discussing things now. Now, what I want you to understand, they weren't they, they weren't planning or deliberating what to do. You see, that was already in place. Isaiah tells us, says, I declare the end from the beginning and from long ago, what is not yet done, saying my plan will take place and I will do all my will you see they were not wondering about what to do next they weren't wondering about what was going to happen they already knew these things and here because because you know john recorded this conversation between the members of the trinity 
we get the privilege to listen in and we get the privilege to learn as well. Now look again, verse 1 of, of John 17. Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. For you gave him authority over all flesh, so that he may give eternal life to all that you have given him. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I have glorified you on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with that glory I had with you before the world existed. Now, the opening words of this prayer are very interesting in the light of John's gospel. He says, Father, the hour has come. As Jesus began his public ministry, and John records his attendance at a wedding in Cana of Galilee in chapter 2, and his mother is also present at that wedding. And as, as they were there, uh, a major social catastrophe happens. Uh, they ran out of wine. Now we think, yeah, what's the big deal? Uh, well, it was a big deal for them. You see, it was a big deal because the family was expected to put on an extended celebration that often would last for up to a week. You know, this, the wedding, you know, if you've been to some wedding receptions that you thought were long, hey, you ain't been to nothing yet, baby. Uh, these, some of these, were, you know, they could last up to a week. And not being able to provide properly was considered a major social embarrassment and a blow to their standing in society. Now, for them, that meant a lot more than it does for us. Because, you see, their, their standing in society opened, opened up some opportunities and being knocked down and closed some other opportunities just for regular daily things that would go on. We don't get that whole picture here. You know, now Jesus' mother comes. She wanted to save the family this trouble, so she approaches Jesus and she tells him that there's no more wine. Jesus replies, says, what has, what has this concern of yours to do with me, woman? Now, just so you know, this is a respectful address when he calls her woman. You know, I mean, it, it's not in our society, but it was in theirs. He was acknowledging her, and that was a, it was a respectful way. But then notice what it says. Jesus added, my hour has not yet come. And then after his public ministry had been going for a while, Jesus' brothers, uh, they, they mocked him and mocked his popularity, telling him that he should go up to the Feast of the Tabernacles and show off a little bit. And in John 7, it says, Jesus told them, My time has not yet arrived, but your time is always at hand. Go up to the festival yourselves. I'm not going up to the festival yet because my time has not yet fully come. Later in, in uh, Jerusalem, and Jesus goes to Jerusalem and he, he keeps a low profile as the feast is going on. Uh, yet, even though he kept a low profile, you see his popularity had, had uh, you know, preceded him and the people were pretty excited about him, which meant that the Jewish leaders were not excited about him. In fact, they were annoyed by him. And it says in John chapter 7 that later, they tried to seize him, yet no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come 
Even later than this, Jesus is teaching in the temple complex, claiming unity with the Father. It's a bold claim, particularly the make right there in, in the temple. Um, and, and it didn't sit well with the temple leaders. And this is what we read. It says, then he spoke these words by the treasury while teaching in the temple complex. But no one seized him because his hour had not come. See, over and over again, John points out that Jesus' hour, his time had not yet come. And then we enter into the last week of Jesus' time here on earth, and we see a change take place. Now, in John's gospel, that begins in chapter 12. That shows you the emphasis that, that well, all of the gospels uh, really put on. But in John, the first 11 chapters uh, deal with the time before his last week. When you get into, into John chapter 12, you get into the last week. So John chapter 12 through chapter 21 Deal Well, 21 deals with after the resurrection, but John 12 through 20 have, deals with the last week of Jesus' life, the emphasis that John puts on there. Well, his popularity is growing, and you know, it gets, begins to be clearer with his disciples about the coming crucifixion. They didn't really catch on. Uh, they couldn't quite wrap their minds around it. Um, but we see a change. In John chapter 12, it says, Jesus replied to them, the hour has come. For the Son of Man to be glorified. Now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour. But this is why I came to this hour. You see, the change has taken place. So his hour has not yet come to this hour is here now. As he prepares to have this last meal with his disciples, uh, with his closest disciples. Uh, in John chapter 13, as they're preparing and getting ready for the, the Passover meal, it says there, before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that his hour had come. To depart from this world and go to the Father. He knew that the hour was here. Again, we just saw in John chapter 16. He says, look, an hour is coming and has come when each of you will be scattered to his own home. Here in John 17, uh, after Judas leaves, they conclude the Passover meal. And, John begin, and Jesus begins the prayer there. It says, Father, the hour has come. Realize, God will work out his plan in his time. Not just here, but in your life as well. In your life as well, God will work out his plan in his time. He will not bow to the wishes of even those closest to him. His disciples didn't get it. They didn't understand. They didn't want this to come when they began to understand he, he's not going to bow to the wishes even of those closest to him. He, he's not going to be pushed into anything by the desires of man. He is, not, he is not at the whim of the circumstances that are going on. You know, he will work out his plan in his time. Now, things may seem a bit chaotic to us every once in a while, but he told us that they would be. Mark chapter 13 says, so when they arrest you and hand you over, that's not a calm time. When they arrest you and hand you over, don't worry beforehand what you will say. On the contrary, whatever is given to you in that hour, say it. For it isn't you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Then brother will betray brother to death. And the father his child. Children will raise up against parents and put them to death. And you'll be hated by everyone. Because of my name. 
he's not surprised by the chaos that's going on. By the, even the chaotic situation of you. As I was reading this and I was going through this and I was studying and I was putting this together and I got to this and I really had to, I just stopped and paused for a minute and I just prayed for those brothers and sisters in Afghanistan and, and uh, China and India uh, and uh, Iraq, all those places where they can't speak out, where for them this is a reality. This is a reality that they're living through and that they're facing right now. And here, for us in our society, you know, people today, they don't even want to listen to the truth. But God knew this was coming. In 2 Timothy, he says, For the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, they will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear something new. Sound familiar? (laughs) Sound contemporary? They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside the myths. And we we see this over and over in our society, over and over again. And it may seem hopeless and it may seem discouraging, but remember, God is still working out His plan according to His time frame. Don't let that get by you. He goes on, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. You see, the glory, the glory of Jesus Christ, the glory of Christ Jesus and, the, you know, and God the Father, the glory of God the Son and God the Father are intrinsically linked. You can't separate. You can't separate those. I think this is part of what he tells us, what Paul writes in Philippians. He says, for this reason, God highly exalted him, gave him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, the glory, the glory of Christ Jesus and the glory of God the Father, God the Son and God the Father, are intrinsically linked. So to glorify you know, the, the Son, you glorify the Father. You know, the, the Son is glorified, it says, so he may also glorify the Father. So to give glory to the one is, is to give glory to the other one as well. The prayer goes on, verse 2. For you gave him authority over all flesh, so that he may give eternal life to all you gave him. Now, as creator, Jesus has a right to rule over all creation. We looked at these verses two weeks ago. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that. He was with God in the beginning. Before anything existed, he was there. Why? Because he was God. All things were created through him, the creator. And apart from him, not one thing was created that had been created. Life was in him. And that life was the light of men. The creator has the right to rule over his creation. In Romans 14, it says, Christ died and came to life for this, that he might rule over both the living and the dead. Now, see, we can get hung up on this whole rule and authority, and some people, some people chafe at this a little bit. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I've had people tell me that in my office. Uh, you know, uh, we've been looking at different things in the Scripture, and, and uh, I'm not going to have anybody tell me, you know, tell me what to do. 
And people fight that. And, and people, but notice here, notice he died, came to life, that he might rule over both the living and the dead. He has that authority, but here's the deal. He uses that authority, he uses that right to rule to give eternal life to all those who come to him. That's what he uses it for. You gave, verse 2 of John 17, you gave him authority over all flesh so that he may give eternal life to all you give him. Verse 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. This is more than a head knowledge. This is more than just just acquiescing to the to the facts. This is more than just saying, yes, you know, I, I, I believe that's true. Uh, it's more than that. Uh, the word means to know through experience. It carries it's the, the, the idea of knowing on the basis of some sort of intimate and personal relationship that, you know, because of this relationship. Jenny and I were just talking uh, this weekend, yesterday, in fact, um, looking back a little bit about um, when we first started dating and stuff. And she was a sophomore in high school when I met her. Uh, she was a junior in high school when we started dating. Um, a senior when we got engaged. And a few weeks out of school when we got married. But I know her a lot better now than I did then. You see, after after living together and doing life together in an intimate relationship as husband and wife for 47 years, I know her better. This is the picture that he's giving us here. To know on that, to know beyond that head knowledge. But that experience of a relationship. We come to know that he is the only true God. That all others are imposters. All others are distractions. Because he has the authority and the right to rule. It says he gives eternal life to all those who come to him. And we have the honor and the privilege of coming to him in an intimate, personal relationship with Christ. Of getting to know him and spending time with him and doing life together. It's one of the things Jenny and I were talking about. And I was just saying, I'm just thrilled that I have been able to do life together with her all these years. This is the picture here of doing life together with God. Those who know him, you know, the, the one he has sent. Verse 4, he says, I've glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. By completing that work. Christ Jesus has done all that is needed for our salvation. He has completed that work. All that is needed to grant us eternal life. His death brings us life. We add nothing to what Christ Jesus did on the cross for our salvation. We add nothing to that. He completed that work. Your good works, and you need to understand this for yourself, and you need to understand this for as you talk to others. Your good works add nothing 
add nothing to what is needed for salvation. Good works show that you've received salvation. Good works show that you have this relationship with Christ Jesus, but they do not earn you any type of forgiveness. You know, it's, it's not working off a payment. We add nothing to what Christ Jesus did on the cross for our salvation. Our good works are not working off a payment. They are not completing that he did most of this stuff and you know, got us part of the way there and now we continue. That is not the picture at all. Our salvation is completed by the work of Christ on the cross. And our salvation is to bring glory to God. It's a result of his plan. It's done by his power, by his might, by his strength. He gives salvation as an expression of his right as creator, completed by Christ Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for our sins. Nothing we add to. Ephesians chapter 2 says, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not, not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not from works, so that no one can boast. You see, we are adding nothing to our salvation. He has completed what he said there in that prayer, that I have completed the work you gave me to do, the work you gave him to do for our salvation on that cross as he came here on that earth, and he has completed that. We add nothing to it. You're saved by grace through faith, through that relationship, through that intimate knowledge, that intimate relationship with him. It's not from yourself. It's not something that we did. It's that gift of God. It's not because of works. We don't add anything to it. It is not, uh, we are not paying God back. God does not owe us anything. He's already given us more than we deserve. It's that, that whole picture there. Now, it does talk about works. The very next verse says, For we're, we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. Back to the whole thing, that plan of God. And that, he, you know, he, he, they, they're not, you know, wondering and discussing what should come next. He knows. And so he has that uh, so that we would do the works of God, those things that God has prepared in advance for us to do. Man, don't you really wonder what he's given you to do? Don't you wonder what that is? Start reading it and you'll know. Start reading it and you'll know. It's not a hidden thing. It's not a mysterious thing. 99% of God's will for you is right here in his book. Right here. Of how he wants you to live. And how he wants you, you know, how he wants you to respond to those situations that come into your life. How he wants you to be able to talk to others who come into your life. Those that, don't take this personally, those that irritate you, as well as those that you don't even know and those that you work with and those that live next door to you and those that live in the same house as you and God is using those people in your life to mold you more into the person he wants you to be and he is using you in their lives for the same purpose it's not a surprise at all you know, of those works he wants us to do but it's not because of those works that were saved. Titus, very clear on this. This is one of the first verses that I remember memorizing because it just really stuck with me uh, in, the King, in the King James. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. 
through the washing of, of the word and regeneration by the Holy Ghost. Now here, he saved us not by works of righteousness that we had done. We don't, we don't work for it. Salvation, forgiveness, eternal life is the gift of God. It is not the reward of any amount of good works. It's the gift of God. It is not something man gives to us in return for the good things we have done. You know, and, and you talk to people sometimes, and, you know, do, do you believe in God? Well, yeah, man, you know, doesn't everybody? Well, yeah, I know everybody doesn't, but I'm glad you do. You know, you're going to be with him in heaven. Well, I hope so. Well, well how do you think you get there? Well, you know, I, I've been a pretty good guy. Not by works of righteousness, which we've done, but according to his mercy, he saves us. According to who he is, according to what he has done. Salvation and forgiveness is that gift of God. The last verse for today, verse 5. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. You know, Jesus existed before creation because he's God. We looked at that two weeks ago. We looked at it a little bit early in the sermon here. You know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was there in the beginning with God. You know, it's, it's plain as day for us. I just was saying it, and there it is. Um, you know, he was there in the beginning with God. And uh, a little bit later, in, in the same chapter, no one has ever seen God, the one and only Son. The one who's at the Father's side, he has revealed him. And here in John 17, just before he is prayed, just before he is unjustly condemned and torturously crucified, Jesus reveals the same thing to his disciples as he discusses these things with the other members of the Trinity. And as they're discussing these things together, the reality of his returning home. Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And he's talking to him there, you know, about, you know, that returning home again. And now Jesus is back in that glorified position with God and as God. Listen in to the prayer of Jesus. We're going to continue this in the weeks to come. Take some time to read it this afternoon. But listen in, you know, to the prayer of Jesus. And learn that God will work out his plan in his time. You know, that, 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 that the glory of Christ, you know, Jesus and God the Father are intrinsically linked. And Jesus used that authority to give eternal life to all those who came to him. And we add nothing, nothing to what Jesus did on the cross for our salvation. And he is back there. In that glorified position with God and as God. This is the one who gave his life for you so that you can live with him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your gift of life. We really only see a glimpse of it. But man, what we see is overwhelming. Now sometimes we're consumed with what's going on in our life. 
Help us to be aware in those times. Just as Jesus did when he prayed. That you are with him. That you are with us. That we are not alone. And we are not forgotten about. But we have that privilege and honor of life with you. Here and now and forevermore. Thank you for that gift, we pray. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.